Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Curtis Wild, and you are listening and watching Next Gen Dems, which is an all-new podcast that is going to shine the spotlight on all things of the next generation of Democrats, all things progressive, and figure out how we're going to make some progressive and, and awesome changes within the Democratic Party and within America, and specifically here today, Missouri. So what we are doing is we are sitting down with three fantastic candidates, two state Senate candidates and one state House candidate. My first uh, person that I will introduce is Michaela Skelton, and that is because ladies first right here on Next Gen Dems. Um, we are here before a live studio audience. Everybody, let's hear a round of applause. We did not pay them, nor did George Soros. Um, <laughs> but it is a one-drink minimum here at the uh, Craft Beer Cellar in Columbia, Missouri. Um, Michaela, you are running in House District 50, and you just completed a special election where you came just shy of winning that seat. Tell us a little bit about that. How many seats short were you? Uh, so we were short by 298 votes, uh, which was really, really close, especially since we hadn't had a Democrat running in that seat for the last the three cycles before that. Um, so we came a really long way. Uh, Nate Silver's 538 ranks it as a R plus 24. Um, Donald Trump won it by more than 20 points November of 16, and we lost by just 4%. Um, and the Republicans had to throw all the spaghetti that they had at the wall uh, trying to make it stick, and they still only beat me by less than 300 votes. We'll get them this time. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Tell us a little bit more about your district. Where exactly is House District 50, and what is the makeup of it? What's the demographic? I know you're in Missouri. Everybody knows what Missouri is about and kind of the demographics that uh, we're rocking at the current moment. But tell us a little bit more about what you found on the street, knocking the doors and talking to the voters. Sure. So House District 50 is Southern Boone County, um, is the bulk of it. I've got a little bit of Columbia, which is the college town here where we're at in mid-Missouri. Um, but that's most of my district is actually either bedroom community or rural area. So Southern Boone County, a little bit of Cole County, Montauk County with California, uh, which has a fairly large um, both working class population as well as a Hispanic community, and then Cooper County as well, um, or small town uh, and agricultural area, um, right? So my friend Debbie's here this evening. She's from Cooper County and is, is excited about Cooper. But, uh, yeah, and so it's, it's a really broad mix, um, and it's one of the things that I like the best about House District 50 because it really encompasses all of the different kinds of people that we find in Missouri. There's college kids, there's young families, there's retirees, there's rural communities, there's farmers, there's construction workers, union members, teachers, um, just a little bit of everybody is in House District 50. And what I found and what I think most progressive candidates find is that a lot of the same issues touch every single person, regardless of what category or box they put themselves in. What keeps them up at night is the same. Whether or not they're going to be able to send their kids to a good school, whether or not their paycheck is going to be enough to pay the rent and buy groceries, whether or not they're going to have a health emergency that's going to bankrupt them. Um, and, and those are the things, it doesn't matter who you are, how old you are, those are the same things that keep everybody up at night. Um, and that's what people wanted to talk about. 
Absolutely. I mean, people want better things for more people. They just don't know how to get there. Most of the, the arguments that, that political people have are with the path of how to get there and not that we need to get there. Uh, before we move on to all the issues and all the, the great things that you guys are running on, um, let, let's move forward. Let's go with Joseph. Joseph, tell us a little bit more about, uh, is it Senate District 28? Yes, it's Senate District 28. All right, let's hear uh, about all that. Well, it encompasses uh, eight different counties. It encompasses uh, Laclede, Dallas, Benton, Hickory, St. Clair, Pettis, and Polk counties. Notes are not allowed on my show. <laughs> Notes are not allowed. <laughs> uh, well, I'm afraid they're necessary. I'm for getting I'm this kidding. morning. Um, <laughs> you can have note cards. You could have a teleprompter, but I wouldn't uh, uh, recommend it. No, I don't think People I'm gonna... that watch a show might not think too kindly. But uh, um, tell us more about it. But uh, it's the dis- district is uh, predominantly rural, uh, predominantly, uh, predominantly white. Uh, the largest population center is in Sedalia. Uh, Sedalia has a pretty large uh, contingent of college kids at State Fair Community College. Uh, I think the key to the campaign is really going to be making our case that those folks who are from Kansas City, St. Louis, Columbia, that their votes are worth more in Sedalia and Pettis County than they are worth in Sedalia, or or, I'm sorry, than Kansas City or St. Louis, where those districts are always going to go blue. Um, And, you know, we really... We need to increase our presence in the state senate as well as the house. Uh, we we don't really have a chance at this point. We're in a super minority sort of situation. The air conditioner just kicked on. Please speak up. <laughs> we're uh, we're lucky if we even get to uh, speak at the end of the day. So uh, our our big issues, I mean, like Michaela said, uh, our jobs, uh, wages, health care uh, in my district. Uh, we are one of those unfortunate districts that uh, has one of those four-day week schools. And, and I, I personally don't think a public education system, uh, you can't really call it public education when it doesn't work for every member of the public. Uh, I, I think to a single mother who uh, has to choose between going to work that day or whether she's going to spend the half the day paying for uh, mm-hmm. child care for her kid when she sh- the kid should you know naturally be at school. I went to school five days a week, and I think that's that's a pretty good norm that we're all pretty comfortable with. I think that's probably something we should stick with. Absolutely. Um, another thing, and this, just like everywhere else, uh, the opioid crisis is really hitting our communities uh, in, in that rural area really hard. Uh, I just, uh, I had a... And that doesn't matter what party you're in. It doesn't matter what color you're in, you are. It doesn't matter what your religious affiliation is. That can touch you in every walk of life from every direction. It is absolutely an equal opportunity life destroyer. Yeah. Um, Well said. I'm going to quote you on that. Please do. I am stealing that. Uh, Absolutely. You can have the rights. Perfect. Brian Strubig, we are going to get back to to all of these issues. Brian Strubig, uh, let's hit on you. Senatorial District 6. Uh, I invited you three specifically to be on the show because you are progressive Democrats running in rural regions. Brian, I know that you've got a very similar area to them. Uh, Tell us about it. Tell us where you are running. Tell us where Senatorial District 6 is and some of the problems that you face there. Great. First, thanks, Curtis, for having me on the podcast today. Um, The district I uh, cover is Miller County, Morgan County, Montauk County, Cole County, Osage County, Gasconade County, and Marys County. It's a really big district, uh, very rural, uh, with a small urban contingent, obviously, in Jefferson City, which is in Cole County. 
Um, the, the issue that I see a lot of people facing in our area is just um, the exodus of the youth in our area. 95% of our high school graduates are going to either go off and join the military or uh, go to college, but there's really no reason for them necessarily to come back to their community because we are lacking op economic opportunity for them. If they come back to their, uh, their community, then they're looking at uh, having to uh, basically sign a vow of poverty. Uh, they're going to work on the job, any job that they can find, pretty much until they keel over. Uh, there's not many jobs that have benefits. Um, so wait, what are they going to, what are they going to do until they keel over? I mean, if there's no jobs and they're supposed to be on this this uh, debt slavery job market for the rest of their existence, and there's no jobs, what do they do? But where do we go with this? Um, well, we 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 got to kind of think outside of the box on I hate we... boxes so let's do it okay great <laughs> <laughs> um, we've we of course have to shore up uh, first off shore up our small businesses because the small businesses in our community are you know those are the people that have the jobs to be able to offer and they're created from families that were from the community most times, that live in the community, that have other members of their family in the community. Yes, in fact, small I, business, huge I, thing. Yeah, I'm I'm a small business owner. I have a small tax accounting business, and I also am a third generation floor layer. So, um, but unfortunately, in a lot of part of rural Missouri, uh, it takes two jobs in order to make uh, ends meet. Yeah, it, it takes two incomes in a lot of places in America. And I'm glad that you touched on what you did outside of this because that's where we're going to go next. Now that we know what you do as your day job, as your regular job, Michaela, uh, do you prefer Michaela or Michaela? Michaela. Michaela. All mm -hmm. right. So when you say it, it's Michaela, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, that's my, it's my parents feeling a little creative. Uh, so I come from a military family, and they were stationed in Italy overseas when I was born, and so they decided, let's give her a name that no one can pronounce. Um, so <laughs> thank you, Mom and Dad. I think it was just the spelling. Yes, yes. So what do you do in your day job? What do you... Um, it so I am an attorney by trade. Um, I used to work for the Missouri Senate in the Nonpartisan Research Office. Um, but since running for office, I do also have two small children. Uh, my son will be five next week, actually. Happy early He's birthday. Still my heart. He's getting so big. And then my daughter is three. Uh, and so right now, I'm actually a stay-at-home mom with my kids. Um, I taught at their preschool last year. Um, but the schedule of, of trying to spend time with my kids and be an active and present parent running for office and working, it, it was, I am fortunate that I'm in a position that we could make it to where I get to stay home with my kids during the day so that I can come to events like this in the evenings um, and really be out in my community and talking to voters as much as I do. Um, it's, it's very fortunate. Um, and at the same time, it was not the hardest decision that we ever made because like most young families, the cost of childcare is astronomical it is so yeah. insane so did you find that you were working to support child care absolutely i mean even so working, you were working to have other people basically raise your children for that period of time yes that's horrible yeah. even even when i was working at the missouri senate as an attorney um, my income paid for child care health insurance my student loan payments and then we had about two hundred dollars left a year um, after those three things that was all of my income went to health insurance child care and student loans um, and that's that's all it was. And yeah, it was paying to let have other people 
raise my kids and spend that quality time with them where instead I was getting to spend an hour or two with them at night after work before bedtime. So one of, the, one of the things I think all of us are going to work towards is to make sure that things like that stop happening and that we can start working towards an environment where we can spend more time, more quality time with our family and children. Uh, Joseph, let's, let's find out about what you do in your day job. What, what are some hobbies that you do? Uh, in, my, in my real life, in my uh, <laughs> actual paying gig, uh, I do uh, quality assurance and packing for uh, marine electrical products in Lebanon, Missouri. Uh, I, I, like I said, inspect um, steering consoles mostly for pontoon boats and then uh, prepare them for shipping. Uh, it's not a fun job. It's a hot job. It's a cut-your-hands-all-up job. Um, but after working in finance in St. Louis for five years and realizing that wasn't really the path for me, uh, I went back to tending bar, and then uh, I kind of aged out of that. And so uh, now I'm doing this, and with an eye towards uh, hopefully getting a new job in Jeff City here at the end of uh, at the end of the year. I, I would just like to say that we do not tolerate ageism here on Next Gen Dems, <laughs> and therefore there is no aging out of being a bartender. If you want to do it, please feel free. That's how we roll. Um, so let's let's talk about some things that you guys are doing that that is going to excite the base. That you guys are really going to try to reach out to your voters and and, and connect with them with. Um, let's start with Brian on this one. Brian, what, what's some things that that may be unconventional that you're going to do besides actually going out and knocking doors and talking to people? Because that <laughs> seems to be unconventional these days. Well, um, we have to, like I said, first off, help out small businesses. And as a tax accountant and a small business owner, um, the one thing I have seen that small businesses get nailed on the most is uh, dealing with their workers' comp insurance. Now, workers' comp is is a great thing for everybody to have, um, but every single year, a uh, an employer has to get an audit uh, based on how much that they made that year. Now, they can go back two years on that. Um, now, most of the small businesses that I work, uh, do work for, um, have a crew of about five or six guys and they do their best to be able to pay their, their employees the most that they possibly can. Uh, and at the end of the year, they'd like to be able to give them a bonus, but, uh, just take one quick example. Uh, I've had a couple clients this year that, you know, they had a slightly better year than they had, had anticipated. And at the end of the year, their audit technically was complete and the insurance company hit them with like an $8,000 fine that they have to immediately pay plus uh, get started on uh, the six months payment that they have to do to keep their workers comp insurance. Now when that hits in December when you're looking at also having to get ready to pay taxes work is traditionally slow for construction companies in December and you want to try and give a bonus well most of these guys have got a, a business that is, you know, it's kind of on a shoestring. You know, they, they got a small cushion in case things get slow. You know, they don't want to lose their workers, so they try and give them a little something. But when you get nailed with an $8,000 ding. And, uh, and into, you're a small business. Yeah, and you're a small business. Um, I mean, be, just having the struggle of making payroll, there's no room left to be able to give a raise or give a bonus. Now, let me ask you, could a corporation give those raises? Could a corporation give those bonuses? 
Of course they can. Yeah, those large multinational corporations can do a lot of things that small businesses aren't able to do because we're in the climate that we're in uh, politically. Um, let, let's, Michaela, let, let's talk about some things that you're going to do that, uh, what's some of your main focuses that you'd really like to get out and let people know is going to happen? Sure. Well, so here in the 50th House District, a, a big part of what drives the local economy here in mid-Missouri is the university. Um, so much of our small business community and the opportunities that are here for our young for our kids as they're growing up has to do with the success of the university. Um, and with the governor's proposed budget cuts for this year. Um, in the last two years, the University of Missouri would see a 20% cut to their core programming budget. Um, we're making it harder and harder for working class families to be able to send their kids to college. Um, and at the same time, we're not growing our K-12 to or our early childhood education programs like we need to be able to do to expand things like technical school offerings. Um, a lot of our high schools used to offer really great tech programs because college isn't for everyone. You know, college is a great way to move up in the world, but also learning a skilled trade is also a great way for kids to have good opportunities. And so we used to have metal shops and auto shops and wood shops in our high school. I learned how to make a radio when I was in like sixth grade. Yep. Yeah. Shop yep. class. What happened to shop? Do they even still have shop class? Can somebody tell uh, me? I have a room full of people here. Do they still have shop class? Industrial arts. Industrial arts. arts. I ain't doing it. I want and, shop class. Right. <laughs> and a lot of our traditional a lot of our traditional high schools don't have shop class or industrial arts. Instead, you find those kinds of programs at the alternative high schools where they have a tendency to push kids that have behavioral issues. And it, and it makes the general high school population look down on those trades classes when they can really be a great thing. And even if you don't want to do a trade, I learned how to do some – I took a shop class in, middle, in junior high. Um, and so I like that as, now as a homeowner, I feel the, that I have the confidence to be able to fix my appliances <laughs> or to do basic drywall things you they're know, not afraid to screw a screw right you know, so having <laughs> or put that, in a light bulb having those having those well hey i can change out a heating element on a dryer hey, and that's I, can more chase, than I can do i can change I belts and washing machines right so you know but and also youtube gotta love youtube but Agreed. but giving kids that that confidence that they can do those things for themselves is is really great as you grow up into an adult um, but it also lets them see that as a viable option for being able to to be an adult in the world well there's so much with, with teachers testing or uh teaching to test teach to test teach to test uh and concentrating so much on that that they're not teaching things that kids are passionate about they're not teaching to the passions of the kid they're not teaching to where you're going to be proud of what you produced just like you mentioned you're you're proud that you can change that heating element am i right absolutely and well, a lot of people can't Including yeah. myself. And, so. <laughs> and teaching to the test, I mean, study after study has shown that that's not a good indicator of how kids are learning, what they're learning, um, how well they're retaining any of that information. It has, it correlates most strongly with your socioeconomic status. So if you are in a well-off district and you have mostly parents that are reasonably well-off, upper-middle class, then those kids are going to do well on the tests. If you come from a poor rural community or a poor inner city community, 
you're not going to do well on the test because parents don't have the additional resources to be putting into their kids. A lot of parents are working two jobs, so they're not having that opportunity to read to their kids every night or to get a tutor or to sign up for music lessons. And their schools are only teaching to those tests. They're teaching, mm -hmm. the, they're teaching English and math, and pretty much everything else falls to the wayside that gives us good humans and good citizens. We're not teaching history and social studies in a way that actually teaches our kids about what it means to be an American, what it means to be part of a community. Um, and that's, it's falling away, and, and we're ending up with kids that are not well-rounded. Absolutely. And before we get into to, uh, Joe's on this, um, uh, Michaela, why? Well, so we, we let... Why? No, I want to be more specific. Why are the teachers teaching to test and not teaching uh, the, the things that we should be teaching? Uh, well, because teaching to the test came out of several big federal programs that were driven by corporate lobbyists wanting to see certain things out of their future workforce. So they were trying to push down the costs of training workers into our public schools at the expense of raising good citizens. Um, and so you don't wait, wait, see... Raising good citizens could also be misconstrued as creating a docile workforce. Well, that's... So that was what the, the purpose of some of these national programs were for, oh. um, instead of having well-informed students. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people are against the whole well-informed thing. You know, they don't want well-informed students, they don't want well-informed voters, but that's what we're here for at Next Gen Dems, and that's why we were broadcasting live from uh, Craft Beer Cellar here in Columbia, Missouri, and now we're going to get over here to Joe Poor. Joe, let's talk about some things that are important to you, man. What is, what is the top-notch thing that you really want to tackle? Uh, income inequality. Um, I work, like I said, I work in a factory with about 200 other, other guys and gals. Uh, most, most of those people uh, work five days a week and then a half day on Saturday. I was actually supposed to be at work myself this morning, but um, my boss and I had a, a little bit of a heart-to-heart, -heart and I, I told him, he, he asked me, he asked me, what do, you, what do you hope to accomplish by doing all this? He, he, I, he's, a, he's a hardcore Trump-supporting dude. And uh, he said, you're never going to win. I said, well, I, I don't care. Win or lose, we have to make the argument. And, and I'm not only fighting for you. I'm fighting for every other person on the factory floor. I don't think you don't want to work six days a week any more than I want to work six days a week. And the fact that we are, are forced to work six days a week to afford basic necessities it is poppycock. Garbage. I'm not sure that word's allowed here. I was proud of myself. Let it slide. Yeah, poppycock's good. Poppycock, yeah. We'll let it go. So uh, income inequality, uh, I don't think, like I said, I, nobody should have to work six days a week to afford the basic necessities of life. Absolutely um, agree. Especially in, in a community like the one I live in, uh, rents are not that high. Um, utilities are not that bad. There's no reason that this, this multinational corporation, my, I, I work for um, a large corporation. I'm not going to drop the name because I like my job. You don't have to. Most you days. don't have to. <laughs> but um, I work for a large corporation, and uh, they just were the beneficiary of a 40% tax cut. Uh, we didn't get a bonus. We didn't get a raise. Uh, we didn't get a thank you in spite of the fact that my – my corporate overlords 
uh, are now making a substantial amount more <clears throat> more per year than they ever have before. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let me let me get this straight. Are you telling me that trickle down is not working? I'm telling you trickle down is a fantasy. It's always been a fantasy. And it was cooked up by folks far more wealthy than anybody in this room. And it will never work. If you believe it will work, then I would love to sell you a bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, let's move on. So knowing that that the... uh, All right, go ahead. Um, Just to address a brief question from a member of the audience here. It says... Uh, in your experience, have any specific tactics uh, for getting volunteers through your campaign to knock doors, phone bank, things like that? Have there been any particular ca- uh, tactics that have worked well? All right, we're going we're gonna to ladies first on that one, but let's give a shout-out to whoever asked that question. Derek Evans. Derek Evans. <laughs> we are going to answer that for you, Derek. Um, ask the question one more time real quick. All right. Have any specific tactics worked for you for getting people to phone bank and knock doors and volunteer for you? Well, so for knocking doors, uh, the promise of foodstuffs after uh, is all, always a good thing. Um, we had a couple of really great canvases for my campaign last summer where we had a barbecue uh, afterwards for everyone that went out and knocked doors for four hours. Um, come back. Uh, we even, for those who were old enough to imbibe, we had some beer available um, on a hot uh, July day. That's always nice for folks. And it was um, cold, too. It was good <laughs> cold beer. Um, and I'll but, tell you what, that pulled pork, amazing. What uh, pulled yeah, pork? There was, uh, yeah, it was a chill. Something, it was something that Tanya made. I don't. It was a really interesting dish, but it was really, really good. Yeah. I'm not sure what if it was a chili or if it was pulled pork, but yes, there was whatever it is. I'm coming for more of that stuff. Sauce, <laughs> lots of that. Brian, um, yeah. What are some things that worked for you? Well, to be honest, <clears throat> Curtis, my, my campaign is just really starting to get get going, and so I'm I, I'm actually looking for volunteers right now to be able to help me with my campaign. So you are telling me that you're doing the Next Gen Dems podcast to drum up some volunteers for your campaign. Exactly. <laughs> Fantastic. Exactly. Check out BrianStrubick.com and sign up to be a volunteer. State Senate, District 2? No, District six. 6. 6. Yeah, I, I was in <clears throat> Illinois earlier today, so you're lucky that I'm even getting any of this right. <laughs> district 28, Senatorial District 28, what are you planning on doing down there, Joseph? Ford? Well, I, I like Brian. I'm just kind of getting off the ground. Um, but I plan on using some Michaela's tactics, and there's definitely going to be beer. And if, if beer and food do not work, then I'm going to use shame. <laughs> shame is actually fairly effective. <laughs> And something else, too, that, that works really well um, that helps you know, make it a little bit more comfortable for people to start with um, is something that we did a lot for my campaign last time and we'll be doing again this time is having smaller house parties where you make people invite their friends that live in the district or their neighbors that they might not know very well um, to just come over and have some, again, snacks, food always works really well, um, but to get a chance to talk to me, the candidate, or to talk to Brian or Joe, um, so having your candidate uh, in that kind of low-pressure situation, uh, it also really helps people feel like they know the candidate better than a 
two or three minute conversation at the door. Um, and, and then those are the folks that they'll turn around then and they'll talk to their friends at, you know, the other parents at Girl Scouts or their friends at church or at work on the floor. They're like, well, I actually met that person and they're actually really cool. Um, and, and so that's a really great way. You know, it's not formal volunteers, but it's a good way to get people on your side um, and really to hear you. I think the thing that, to answer Derek's question from my end, because I am running for state representative in District 107, is that uh, you have to connect with people. You have to be accessible, and you have to connect with people. You have to be willing to message them back when they message you, uh, answer text messages, answer your phone. You have to be willing to be accessible and willing to connect. Um, And you don't even have to agree on everything, but as long as you're there to listen they know that you're there to listen. They know that you're open to that dialogue. Um, And that's important considering that we've got uh, Jefferson City and Washington, D.C. that hasn't been open to much dialogue from anybody who doesn't have deep pockets. Um, So let's talk about how we're going to battle that. None of us are going to have a lot of money. We're all grassroots, we're all progressive, and we're going to have to reach out to all the people watching, all the people listening, the people here today, and our entire network to try to do... uh, anything um, close to what our opponents can do financially. Um, what are the, some things that you're going to do to tackle those? Uh, let's start with Joe. To uh, tackle those you know, I problems. think, uh, and this is something we've been doing as candidates. Uh, we're all, we are all in pretty regular contact with each other, and we're talking about what works, what doesn't. Uh, anybody whose district butts up to mine or overlaps mine, I try to talk to and We try to make sure that we're all out there with the same message and there I might explain something in one way that resonates whereas you know it's fallen on deaf ears with if Brian tries to do it or uh, if Michaela tries to do it and she just doesn't quite get there I might explain it in a different way where where they buy in and they're like oh you know what that's it and it, it took three different touches or four different touches but we finally got them there and I think that's what's important I mean because our, our case, at the end of the day, we have a better case. We have a better case for working people. This isn't about state that case. I want to hear that case out of Joseph Poor right now. Uh, this this is this whole thing isn't about Democrats and Republicans. You got it. This whole Keep thing going. is about the haves and the have-nots. Ha! I love this, you. This is about working folks that don't have enough and wealthy folks who have too much. Um, I don't think that we we can measure our work in how much we add to the folks' plate that already whose plate is already over full. I think where where we measure the worth of, of our efforts is by making sure that folks don't have that don't have enough are are getting at least the bare Something minimum on their of plate. what they need. Yeah. Absolutely. So you're not worried about the people whose plate is overflowing as much as you want to get something on the plate of people who have nothing on uh, their plate. Yeah, nothing or less than less than sub, than what it takes to subside. And those are the and those are people that are in rural and in, in um, it, you're right. Cities this and, this is this is not an urban or a rural thing. I care just as much about a a, a poor family in South St. Louis is I do a poor family in rural Hickory County. They have County. the same struggles, they, do they They not? are both facing the same struggle. Yeah. They are both ones trying to figure out, well, if I pay rent, am I still going to be able to pay the electric bill? If I pay both those bills, are we going to have groceries? Yeah. Am I going to have gas for the car? Am I going to be able to go to work, uh, again, with the four-day-a-week school week, 
uh, in my district, that's another thing that I, I'm really, really passionate about. I don't, again, don't think that that is, that's not a workable model. Uh, if, if a public school doesn't work for every parent and every child in the district, it's not a public school. Agreed. Agreed. Let's go to Brian. Um, <clears throat> when uh, Joe was talking about uh, uh, income inequality, um, you know, I've, I've tried to highlight it before, and Joe knows where I'm coming from because Joe's lived in the same area where, I've, where I live at now. I live in the Lake of the Ozarks. And there is no place else I've been in Missouri where you are going to see the disparity. Man, yeah, alcohol yeah. abuse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> technical difficulties, okay, folks. <laughs> All right, so uh, that one was for my homies. Yeah. <laughs> But some high quality beer too. Yeah. I gotta tell you, this uh, craft beer that was sad. Yeah, in Columbia, Missouri is awesome. So if anybody's listening, come check it out, and don't spill your beer. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, uh, a lot of the house, most of the houses that I work in, are on par of three to four million dollars to build these houses. I've done many sh uh, showers and do a lot of tile work, um, where you know, each piece of tile costs almost $100 a piece that they're putting in. What, what they're putting in these houses is more than, you know, probably nine families in, in my district make in, a, you know, you know a lifetime, al almost maybe. a lifetime, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you drive outside of the lake maybe three or four miles, and you see a trailer that uh, may or may not have electricity. Uh, may or may not have uh, water. water or plumbing, um, or 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 you see you know kids that you know when you're dealing with the the four day uh, school week that Joe's talking about, there are so many kids that are dependent on school lunches as prim their primary source of food in, in the area. Um, I volunteered one day at my. Which at my, tells me that there are failures elsewhere. If that's the only meal that they can count on, and their parents aren't in a climate that they can improve the lives enough to handle those those seemingly uh, uh, gimme type of things, things that other people take for granted, are things that people are struggling to get, and most people don't even know it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, once you get out into the rural communities, uh, I mean, just how you heat your house. Uh, you know, some people have electric heat, but a lot of them are still on propane or they've got a wood-burning stove. Now, if the power goes out, you still got the wood-burning stove, but, you know, there's no cold weather rule that applies if you have propane heat. You know, I, I've been dirt poor before where, you know, the propane ran out, and to stay warm, we turned on the electric oven, we blanketed off every single doorway in the house and everyone huddled around the, the electric oven in order to stay warm so you didn't die. That's just unacceptable. I'm not going to lie. I, I know that my life isn't in danger, but every now and again, if it gets really cold in the house, I'll turn the oven on, <laughs> kick it open just a little bit. Uh, of, course, of course. In the interest of transparency. Michaela? Yeah, so, I mean... Piggybacking, I mean, income inequality is, is such a huge thing, and it touches it touches everything else. Because if you're struggling to get your bills paid, 
you're not able to show up at that school board meeting and advocate for your child. If you're struggling working two or three jobs, you're not going down to Jefferson City to talk to your state representative. If you are struggling to feed your family, you're not making the phone calls or showing up at the meetings because you're just trying to get by. And these are the people that, that aren't getting heard in, in Jeff City, in Washington, D.C. Um, and so that's why one of the things that I'm trying to do is show up places where I'm not, where I wouldn't be expected. Um, it just outside of my district in Clarksburg, Missouri. Right now they're trying to put in a 7,700 head of hog CAFO. And huge, you know, almost 8,000 8, hogs where they expect over the course of a year 300 hogs to die that they would plan to compost on the property so you're over the and it takes two years for a hog to compost so you're talking 700 rotting pigs um, on on this small property in town of 300 people this almost 8,000 hogs would produce more solid waste than the city of california the city of boonville and the city of ashland combined in a year that hogs produce almost four times as much waste as people. Um, and it's, it's crazy. And what they plan on doing with that waste um, in, in the local community. And so showing up at, at a meeting that they put together, that the community put together, to try to push back on having corporate agribusiness come in and ruin the lives of everyone who lives right around there. Because we had... One, folk, one person that was there speaking on behalf of the hog farm trying to say that it wouldn't smell. You can't, <laughs> you can't have 8,000 hogs and it not smell. I and lived in Monmouth, Illinois for about five, six years. <laughs> it's going to smell. Right, and the, and the reason why they're trying to put in this particular hog farm is because it's a big corporation that has a bunch of hog, form, hog farms in Iowa that with the problem of antibiotic resistance, they're trying to move into places that don't already have a whole lot of hogs because they can't keep their hogs from getting sick and dying in Iowa where they have 9,000 CAFOs. We only have about 500 here in Missouri right now, and we need to keep it that way. Um, if you have small farmers with... They're small herds of, of hogs or cows. That's one thing. But when you have 7,000 hogs living in two barns. And it's also important to point out, you know, the CAFO that Michaela's talking about, um, it's owned by an out-of-state interest. Um, the uh, farms where they plan on spreading the manure uh, twice a year? Twice a year. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the farmers who own those fields don't live there. They, you know, they lease out. They lease out that land, so no one is affected by by this. That you know has any stake in the game. It's just the community, and um, you know when you're talking about what that does for the uh, um, your aquifer in your in your area. Um, I mean, we're seeing the results of that in the Lake of the Ozarks area, uh, where we've uh, you know we've found out that there is a factory that's no longer. Uh, in existence there had been dumping chemicals directly into the ground for a very long time um got seeping into the water right? oh it's it's they've 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 had to shut wells down yeah. in 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 the city and uh you know they scraped a bunch of dirt off and everything but it also seeps back up uh, in a gaseous form into people's houses it's causing cancer for a lot of people uh, and you know for if that's not enough, it's affecting property values in that area too. 
houses that were selling for $130,000, $140,000 in that same area, right now, one year later, after we have found this out, are selling for $32,000. And just to, to piggyback off what Brian said on that deal, this is, this is a really big deal. This chemical is called TCE. And, and it's uh, this this has poisoned so many people. It's actually drawn national attention. Uh, Aaron Brockovich uh, of just about Aaron Brockovich yeah. fame. Yeah. Uh, she's actually been down and visited these sites. It's basically the same thing that happened in the Aaron Brockovich. It, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, parallel, parallel. Yes, uh, the the company, like Brian said, they have been defunct now for at least a decade yeah and, and so there's really no redress for any of these folks other than to just move and, and like brian said you know some of these people last year their their houses were worth 130 or one hundred forty thousand dollars, and now they're worth a hundred thousand dollars less yeah. what what kind of house if you just picked up stakes tomorrow to to move what kind of house can you buy for thirty thousand dollars you, you, can't. You, you can't. You know what you have to do at that point? You rent. You, you rent. <laughs> you rent. You get an apartment, and, and you join into that docile workforce that they're yeah. trying to create. Yeah. So we've talked about a lot of problems. Let's talk about solutions. Let's talk about how we're going to get where we need to get. Everybody knows that we need to get to a better spot. We need to get to a place where people are, are better taken care of with their health care, their education, and everything else. So let's talk about how we get there. Solutions. Brian? Okay. Oh, uh, we got. Do we have a? Do have another question before it disappears? Okay. Um, it says many folks feel you have to be centrist to appeal to rural communities. Why do you think progressives are more effective in representing our rural communities and Missouri family farms? Empathy. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, actually, you know, I I live in hardcore Trump country, and uh, you know, a lot of the voters I've talked to that you know voted for Trump. Um, when I talk to them, they say, well, who, who did you like? Uh, you know, obviously, I like Bernie Sanders. And they're like, you know, I really like that guy, too. He, you know, he said a lot of the same things uh, because, you know, he talked about the economic issues that are facing all those people. And, you know, that, that's what they want. That's what they need. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, everyone just wants to have a decent living. You know, they, they, they want to be able to work their 40 hours. They want a chance to be able to have a vacation like, they're, uh, like their parents were able to take and, and take them on. Um, they, they want the opportunity to be able to retire one day. Uh, I mean, it's... Are we, you sure that's still in the English language? It, it's fading. It's, it fa it's fading. It's fading. Huge. You know, I've, I've, I've had that discussion with several people where they're like, you know, well, you know, wh why do you think... Uh, our, our area is dying and really the baby boomer generation was the last generation to have great things like pensions to have the 40-hour work week with two weeks of paid vacation the gen you know my generation gen x and uh you know the millennials one they're saddled with you know if they went to college they're saddled with a tremendous amount of college debt um you know they're they're delaying basically starting their life be because of that debt. Um, they're they're working sixty hours a week. They're not working forty hours a week. Uh, you know they're basically they're on call most of the time with their job. They don't get to spend any time with their family. Um, and you know they definitely most of them don't have a pension or a four hundred one k or anything like that. So 
And when they're talking about raising the Social Security retirement age for my generation up to, you know, perhaps 70, you know, in my, in my line of work doing construction, honestly, you're, you're lucky if you're going to make it that long. Your body's going to give out before that. Yeah. That's also why I'm a tax accountant. That's, that's the fallback and job. As far as I'm concerned, in our golden years, we shouldn't have to, to work in back-breaking positions um, to, to just make ends meet. Uh, Michaela? Michaela? Yeah. And uh, so, absolutely. And, and what I want to argue with is what what does centrist mean? Um, and so a lot of times when you hear that you need to be running on a centrist message, that means running liberal-ish on social issues and corporate on economic issues, that you don't talk about raising the minimum wage. You don't talk about universal health care. You don't talk about a comprehensive early childhood education you don't talk or tuition about, free education or tuition free college you don't you're not allowed to talk about those things but those are the things that that actually make people's lives better in rural communities those are the things that they actually want to to hear you talk about because those are real those, those, those are, are tangible real those are things that you issues. can grab a hold of and you know that they're going to affect your family you know that that those are things that are doing good for your family and your existence right uh, and and i think people are a lot more open too to hearing those more progressive or liberal positions on this on social issues or what we what we call social issues when they're feeling comfortable and confident in their own place economically when they're not worried about whether or not they're going to be able to feed their kids or send them to a good school and then they're able to talk about well how can we help these other families because they feel safe and right now we're not even meeting basic needs of safety and security for our families in rural communities absolutely true absolutely true joe uh, um to me like like michaela said i, I think especially especially younger families in rural communities, that this is the message they want to hear. I, I don't think that, you know, we try to put the progressive label on it or we try to say this is centrist, this is progressive. I, I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, I think all it, it's values. I, I think, I, I don't think it's a radical notion that folks ought to make a living wage. I don't think it's a radical notion that people ought to be able to organize in the workplace. I don't think it's a radical notion that people should go bankrupt or die because they get get sick. I don't think that these... I don't even think these are. Uh, That's pretty radical, but I know what you mean. These, uh, um, yeah, (laughs) you got it. Yes, but I I don't think that 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 the idea that we should educate our kids that shouldn't be too far afield. I I don't think that we we should be preparing the next generation for success. It, It 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 doesn't. This is a human thing. This this is what we should want. Uh, I, we're, we're not made to work and pay bills and die. We're, yeah. we're supposed to have meaningful, fulfilling lives outside of the workplace. And, and at this point, with the status quo, very few people enjoy that privilege. Yeah. I, I think that, that what you guys uh, both said, and Brian as well, uh, is something that I want to touch on. When they ask about the centrist question, um, to me, when you think of a centrist, you think of someone who wants to get closer to the center of the political scheme, the political realm. Uh, unfortunately, as far as I'm concerned, every time the we try to, as the Democratic Party, try to find the center or find the middle, every time we try to find that, the Republicans move further right. 
And then we try to find it again, and the Republicans move further right. And we try to find it again, and they move further right. And before you know it, we have people who are voting seemingly as Republicans because they're trying to get so far right to appeal to those right. When we end up at the end of the day with about 50% of people not voting because they don't think that their voice matters. Now, we've been talking about a lot of problems. Let's talk about solutions. How do we get around those things? How do we get past those things? I'm talking about uh, maybe automation, universal basic income, uh, universal health care, health care for all. What, what do we do? What do we do? How do we get there? Uh, I think first and foremost, uh, here in Missouri, uh, at the top of my list is repealing right to work. You got it. Uh, we need to have employees with the ability to organize in the workplace. And when when we go as one one employee, one person, one worker, we we beg. When, when but we, when you take a hundred people with you, what happens? We bargain. That's exactly and right. That and that is the that is the key. Uh, I mean, this is an age old debate that we su- thought we settled over a hundred years ago. Uh, oh, more than that, uh, brother. United we stand, and, and divided I mean, we, we fall. We we've we fought. People have died for the right to organize. People have fought in the streets for the right to organize and to not have capital be in absolute control of labor. There has to be a balance because one cannot exist without the other. I can't do my job without without the the machines that build the parts that I inspect. But but they can't they can't that machine can't do its work without the human being to operate it. Uh And. That that's that's the main thing is to give worker working people a voice again. Yeah. I think that you know we we need to begin uh, the universal health care discussion by expanding Medicaid, just like most other states have done. But Missouri is too proud or too dumb to to jump on the bandwagon when this federal money is being put up on the table. All we got to do is take it, and, and we we refuse to do it because of. To be honest, I don't know why we refuse to take free money. <laughs> but, Not free money, our money. Yeah, our, our money. Our we've money. already yeah. paid. No. To the yeah, federal that's government. what people don't understand. Is it's when our they t- money. It's our money. When we ask for things to be paid for with our tax money, that's expecting return on investment for the money that we're already investing into our country. So for them to say, oh, we can't afford it, who are you to decide that we can't afford it? Because this is all of our money. This is all of us to decide. Unfortunately, if you can't get half of the people out to vote, then only half of those people. I mean, it's a, a really polarized situation right now, Republicans, Democrats. So if you can only get half people out to vote and half of those people are Republicans, and half of those people are Democrats, you're not really having their voices heard. People want their voices to be heard. They want to know that people are out there fighting for them. Um, so yeah. I, I think that you guys are, are perfect well, choices no, I- for I think them that, to see that. And I think that, you know, by, by being this centrist or whatever, that's why people don't vote. Because <laughs> if they can't differentiate between the two options, then why bother? I'll tell you uh, what, I mean, titles suck. Titles suck. And people don't appreciate titles anymore. They don't want titles. They don't like titles. They don't like the, the term Democrat. They don't like the term Republican. They don't like the term centrist. They don't even like the term progressive anymore. No. It, it's starting to get turned off. Liberal has been turned into a dirty word when its base word is liberty. Uh, so we've got a real problem in this country. Brian. Well, when you're, when you're talking about solutions to our problems, um, first thing I think we need to do, uh, you know, we have to realize that this is not going to be a quick fix. 
You know, it's taken us, you know, 30, 40 years to be able to get into the hole that we've gotten ourselves into. We're not going to get out of it tomorrow. There's no golden bullet that's going to be able to do this. Um, you kind of have to take a shotgun approach. Uh, one, I'd like to see us kind of change the way that we do education. Uh, you know, we've, I've, I've heard the word, uh, you know, educate workers. I want to educate entrepreneurs. Um, you know, that's, that's the American dream right there, is to be able to own your own business, to be in control of your own destiny. Um, I'd also like... I, I, I just want to speak on that. And, and for the people that don't understand, it takes a whole lot of hard work to work for yourself. Absolutely. And to not really have a boss. Yeah. So the people out there that are self-employed, they're, they're busting it. They're doing the best that they can with what they got. And I love that entrepreneurial attitude that is supposed to be relevant in America, that is supposed to be prevalent in America. Yes. And, and in order to instill that... Um, we kind of have to change the way that you would do testing. Um, school is the f- safest place to be able to fail without the repercussions of life really just, just hitting you. So if you can learn how to bounce back from that kind of stuff while you're in school, while you're still in a safe place, you're going to be a lot more uh, able to be able to go out into the real world and be able to apply that knowledge that you've learned. Um, I also think that... Um, Every student should have to take at least one coding class. Um, I've, you know, I, I took coding when I was in high school. We were doing basic and everything. Uh, I've since then uh, taken online class uh, for free to, to learn how to code a little bit. And coding is just, it's basic problem solving. And, you know, there are so many people, so many young people that, I, you know, come to, to me for a job that have no idea on how to problem solve. Yeah. Absolutely none. Um, so that those are two basic skills that you can learn there in school. Uh, in fact, there is a guy I... I critical thinking. We absolutely. More, more critical thinking being taught. Absolutely. And, and if you got a, if you got a kid, as I do, that likes to play Minecraft, um, I've started to play Minecraft with him a little bit. <laughs> I see some hands going up in the back. Um, but I have a rule. You have to put it on survival mode because if you're going to – if you want to build something, you have to go out and mine the stuff in order to build that. If, uh, um, you know, you can't eat rotten meat or you're going to die. Wait, are uh, you telling me that you don't let your kid use cheat codes for Minecraft? He probably knows a little bit more about it than <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's actually – it's a good little – easy learning uh tool that you know every kid that's out there that's under the age of 16 has been playing for a little little while well there needs to be a whole lot more of that look back when we went to school oregon trail no absolutely oregon trail if you didn't feed your people somebody died yeah (laughs) we weren't playing we weren't playing with the oregon trail yeah (laughs) yeah yeah, died of dysentery let's kick this question to michaela So big solutions, I think the first part for me would be raising the minimum wage to a living wage. Um, You know, repealing what they did in Jeff City that took away the power of local communities to decide what is a living wage for that community. Because the cost of rent, the cost of food, the cost of transportation is different from community to community. And we need our cities and our our towns to be able to choose. Um, I'd like to see a higher minimum wage statewide because if you want to reduce dependency on subsidy programs like food stamps and Section 8 housing, Medicaid, 
you raise the minimum wage. People are already working. They're working hard. They're working full-time jobs, and they're still not able to make it. And so let's give those people the dignity of having that job and being able to take care of their own needs. And then all of that money that we've been spending on, on those subsidy programs, we can turn around and plow it right back into schools, into transportation, into infrastructure programs, instead of spending it as corporate subsidies for, for multinational corporations that don't want to pay their employees a living wage. That's the, that's the big first one for me. Absolutely. To uh, Absolutely. expand on what Michaela just said, um, 13% of Missourians uh, used SNAP benefits last year. Uh, a greater percentage of that than that uh, relied on food for a food bank at least once last year. Uh, I I know that the unemployment rate in Missouri is far less than 13%. So a majority of those people who are relying on SNAP, they work. Uh, like Michaela said. They're it, known it, as the working poor. We, we in You fact, should never it, be working and be poor. At There's the, just something wrong with that. At the end of the day, these these programs like SNAP, they aren't subsidizing these families because these families are doing their part. They are contributing to society. They are showing up to work every day. They're doing a good job for their boss. But at the end of the day, the the, the corporation is getting rich while, while we, the taxpayer, subsidize the basic necessity of life for these people to have employees. Well, I'll tell you, I know people that have put in applications at Walmart, and when they went to to fill out the application, they were also presented with paperwork to get on SNAP benefits and to get on state and federal benefits because Walmart knows that they don't pay their employees enough to cover all all of their necessities. And they're the largest corporation on the earth. <laughs> and the in, largest on the globe. employer. The right? largest employer in the world is Walmart. And why are their employees on SNAP benefits? They're also the largest welfare queens in the world because of that. Because they're forcing their people to have to be on that situation. So they're doing nothing but draining our society, banking billions in the process, and keeping people as a docile workforce to make sure that they can come in and work their stores, but still have just enough to come back into their store and buy their products. And and at the same time, it's really damaging to our local communities and local businesses, small entrepreneurial businesses, because they have all of these great sweetheart deals with manufacturers in China to get cheap products made that they bring over and then they they price out our local businesses that can't compete with that that global footprint uh, of these these huge huge manufacturing deals and then we lose out on that that local company that's actually going to turn around and spend that money in Dance dance lessons for their kids, or at the local restaurant where that money, which will go into the local community, right? Which just moves around the local community. Whereas here, when you when a Walmart moves in, local businesses die, and then all of that value, all of that wealth, goes to New York or to L.A. or to Hong Kong or wherever it is that the Arkansas, where wherever the wherever the stockholders and the big corporate owners live instead of staying in our in our local communities we are going to go to a do we have a question all right we have a question on the live feed what do you think would energize the younger generations um, to not only get involved but to help the problem solving 
think tank. Uh, are you reading that? Or are you making this question up? This is my question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do we energize the young voters, the young people, the younger generations into getting involved, into solving these problems now so that when they're older, they don't have to fight the same battles that we are fighting? Okay, can I ask a re-ask question on the microphone? How do we energize young voters to solve these problems now so they don't have these same situations when they're, they're getting to be our age? When my five-and-a-half-year-old gets to be 37, which is where I'm at, don't tell anybody, audience, um, uh, how, how can we ensure that, that we move them beyond the idiocracy that we are living in right now? Well, again, I think that the answer to this, this question is kind of the same answer as one of the previous questions, and it's differentiating ourselves between the other guy. We have to be something people want to vote for. We have to draw out the passion. We have to draw a, a differentiation between the two choices. You can have one side over here where you're going to have the status quo, or you can have our side where things are actually going to have a chance to get better. Uh, it, getting better is going to take work, and it's not going to take work just from uh, candidates. It's not going to take work from just politicians. It's going to take work from activists. It's going to take work from voters. It's going to take people. It's going to take work from people who hate politics. But at the end of the day, I, I don't care how you feel about politics. I don't care if you don't care about politics, because your boss cares about politics. Your landlord cares about politics. Every person that essentially controls your life from a financial standpoint, they care about politics. And if you don't, uh, there's, there's a saying that says, uh, if, you're not, if you don't have a seat at the table, then you're on the menu. Yeah. And that's where we're at now. And if you're not the lead dog, the view never changes. Have you heard that one? I, I've heard that one as well. Yeah. I yeah. love Think cliches. about that view. Never mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michaela? Yeah. So I would say making sure that two were thinking about we're thinking about long-term solutions, you know, because once once we change over who's in charge, you know, we can work on some of these these issues to make our lives better. But if we want to keep them that way, we need long-term solutions. And for me, a big one is we need to be pushing a constitutional amendment that corporations are not people and money is not speech. And so that way, everybody can have. Let's an hear it, voice. folks. Yes, ma'am. Let's hear it. Yes, ma'am. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I, well, I didn't want to interrupt you. You can continue on. I just had to pop for that. <laughs> I mean, that's the only way that we In my keep... world of pro wrestling, a pop is a cheer. So if anybody's out there listening... Well, that's the only way that we keep whatever gains that we make right now. Because if, if, we, don't, if we don't put permanent protections in place, it, it will push... Corporate power, corporate interest, corporate money will push back on whatever gains we make. And guess what? You can't eat money. You can't eat money. That's exactly right. Brian? Um, well, kind of piggyback a little bit off of Michaela. Um, I've got a degree in finance, and the first rule that they teach you in finance is the goal of a corporation is to increase shareholder wealth. Now, if you go back and you look at textbooks from you know, uh, pre-1970s, they taught you that the goal of a corporation was to increase the corporate or to increase the public good while still uh, you know, making a modest profit. That somehow changed in, in the 1970s. Um, so, no, first off, the corporations, they don't care about you. It doesn't matter what kind of PR that they put out there. Their goal is to make uh, the most money for, you know, for their shareholders. Um, 
but to get younger people involved, I think you need to speak to the issues that matter to them. Um, you know, I was disengaged as a voter for a while because, you know, everyone kept talk. The only thing that Democrats would talk about was we're going to save your Social Security and everything. Well, guess what? When they're talking about me not being able to get Social Security until I'm 70 years old, that really doesn't doesn't apply to me in my life right now. You know, I, I want to be able to get a decent job. Uh, you know, I want to be able to not be, you know, drowned in debt. I have a, a, a stepdaughter that's uh, in college right now, and there's no way that we can help her with her uh, with her college tuition or anything because um, we're still busy trying to pay off our own student loans. Um, so when uh, when you're trying to get younger people engaged, you just got to speak to the things that that matter to them, not that you know. Uh, are so far down the line that, you know, they, they can't even think that far. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we're going to actually do something that we haven't had the opportunity to do because we haven't done the live studio audience thing, but as long as you guys are comfortable with it, we're going to take some questions and, and, and do a Q and a with our live audience. Is that cool? Uh, fire away. Are you guys Great. down? We're good. I don't believe them. Are you guys down? All right. All right. First question. Throw a hand. Show a hand. Anyone. Don't be shy. I'll ask a question. Huh? Um, first, I want to applaud you guys for speaking to the Democratic base. Um, but I, I have to give credit where credit is due to the other side of the aisle. They do a good job with politics. The way that they go through the system and work through the system to get elected, it's dirty. It's kind of, you know. Oh, they're slick politicians, brother. Uh, but um, it's effective. So, do any of you see maybe a value in getting into the mud a little bit just to, you know. I'm not afraid to fight dirty. I don't know about them, but I'm not afraid to get dirty, dirty. The goal is to win. <laughs> Okay, the question is, are we willing to get dirty? Uh, knowing that the political landscape is the way that it is, are we willing to get uh, as dirty as the other guy and, and fight as rough as the other guy? <laughs> yeah, look at Trump. Look at Trump. The guy pulls no punches, right? Uh, to, to answer it uh, myself, I'll answer it real quick. Absolutely. As far as I'm concerned, first, uh, my first focus would be to focus on the things that I'm willing to do the good things about my campaign, the good things that uh, I'm going to be working for. Um, I don't want to focus on my opponent at all because, to be honest with you, I really don't don't want to deal with him. I'm not trying to convince him to vote for me. I'm trying to convince the people of my district to vote for me. So that's where I'm going to focus on. However, 
If he wants to get dirty, I'm not afraid to play those games either. And I think that that's where more Democrats need to get. We try to take that high road. We try to take that moral high ground, and it's not working in America. And we've seen that over the last 10 years, losing election after election. And the the high ground, while it is clean and it's something you're going to go to sleep feeling good about, it's not going to win you elections in today's climate when they're worrying about what the Kardashians and Kanye West is doing and when the first thing they do is check Trump's Twitter page in the morning to see the latest train wreck or the latest dumpster fire. You're going to have to get in there. You're going to have to get your hands dirty, and you're going to have to get in the nitty-gritty. Brian? Quite frankly, um, you know, living in rural Missouri, uh, you learn that uh, if someone is acting like a dirty, no-good SOB, you call them out as a dirty, no-good SOB. Um, and is. and you don't you don't be you, you don't you don't back down from them because they're gonna just continue to bully you and bully you, you know you got to punch back and I'm not afraid to punch back or punch. <laughs> so I ran my campaign differently um, and I intend to do the same this time because I think there are two emotions that that are active in politics and. Right now, the Republicans, they use fear, and that's, and that's what they use. That's why they, they play the dirty games they play, because they're trying to make people afraid. And when you play their games, you end up in their frame, and you're talking about the issues that they want to talk about, and you're not talking about the things that you want people to hear. And so I, I'm running a positive message campaign because I want to speak to those feelings of hope that people have, those feelings of righteous anger as well, because it is okay to be angry, but we have to talk about how we fix them and so if you if you get to if you start doing those personal or political attacks then people start to see you as no better than that other guy and are you really even telling me the truth and so if you keep the message positive from my view then you're showing people that I don't care about what they have to say they can throw a temper tantrum on the playground all they want but I'm going to tell you the truth, and I'm going to tell you what matters, and I'm going to tell you how we can fix it and make it better. Um, and I think that's I think that's a way that we can win because there's a lot of people that just don't participate because they think that it's all ugly, that it's all nasty and gross, and they don't want anything to do with it. And I want to give them something that they can feel proud of being a part of. Um, and that's and that's why I run my campaign that way. I think I'm also in a more precarious position being a woman Um, because if you are a woman and you try to play dirty or be nasty then you know you get called all kinds of names uh, and nobody takes you seriously anymore Um, and so uh, for me I I don't think that's a luxury that I have but that's okay because my opponent doesn't talk about the issues she wants to push me into those couple of boxes on the couple of issues where there's really not a good place to find common ground but where there's common ground are the things that we want to talk about, where we want to talk about wages and bargaining rights and education and health care and all of those bread and butter issues. And that's where we can reach people. I think you touched on something big there, though. It's the truth. The truth will set you free. So if you operate in truth, you can't really be battled. You're almost bulletproof. If you operate only in truth and you throw it out there, your opponent can say what he wants to. But you throw out truth, and it may be something that could be damaging to your opponent, but if it's true, it's right. And and that's where you stand uh, on a moral high ground, if you want to be on a moral high ground. Joe? Now, I, I think that we have to draw a distinction between 
the tactics of a campaign and the actual t tactics of legislation. Uh, do Republicans play dirty games by holding up the appointment uh, of a Supreme Court justice? Yes. Do I think Democrats should, f should respond in kind? No, I don't. And here's why. Because I respect our institutions. Uh, I, I, I feel government has value. And at the end of the day, Republicans want government that's small enough to drown in a bathtub. And That's a quote. And, and Democrats, we know that government, to live in a society of 325 million people is necessary. And government has to work. Uh, I, do I think that we lay down too easily? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> when, we sh when we went to the trouble of shutting the government down uh, to protect almost a million and a half people from de deportation to countries that they've never known before, do I think we should probably held the line for th more than two and a half days? Yeah, we probably definitely should. I think if you're going to make a statement like that, then you better be willing to have the courage of your convictions, and you better damn well wait until you get the answer you want. I, I, I don't think that we should resort to the name-calling and the, the, the who, who had sex with whom or the who did this and that over the course the of the tabloid. campaign. Well, because the fact is we have a better message, and we don't need to do that. We have a better message. We have a positive message. Let them campaign based on fear and hate and, and malarkey. Bigotry. <laughs> <laughs> and and let's... Malarkey and, and poppycock. We will not have any more malarkey and poppycock from that side. No, we do. We have a better message. We're talking about how we're going to make lives, people's lives better. They're talking about how they're going to make corporations more valuable and provide more value to shareholders. Well, screw shareholders. I care a lot more about working people than I do about shareholders. That's right. Absolutely right. Next question. Well, other than the fact that it just had the sharpest drop uh, in the last two weeks, as it has in two the last years. two years, mm -hmm. in the last two weeks, it's had the sharpest drop as it has in the last two years. So, uh, malarkey, poppycock. <laughs> uh, um. <laughs> well, the, the vast majority of stocks are owned by the top ten percent of the population. Um, the bottom fifty percent of the population really doesn't own any stocks at all. And so whether or not the stock market is doing well doesn't impact the daily lives of most people in the state of Missouri and most people in the country. Um, Wall Street is not Main Street. Um, I don't care how the Dow Jones is doing. I care about how Bob Jones is doing down the street. Um, and that's what matters. Exactly right. Brian? Right. Say that everywhere you go. <laughs> um, as Michaela said, the stock market isn't uh, isn't Main Street America. Um, and going back to, you know, shareholder wealth, um, if a company is willing to pay its employees more money, um, that's probably going to cut into the bottom line of that, of that corporation, and their stock price is going to go down. That goes directly against everything that a CEO has put in place to be able to do. They're not working in your best interest, plain and simple. 
it also pushes back hard on that whole thing of trickle-down economics. If the CEO is responsible to their shareholders and their shareholders only and raising wages decreases stock price, they're not going to raise wages because that's not who they're responsible for. Absolutely. Okay. Do we have any more questions from the audience? Debbie Dokes. <laughs> Debbie Dokes from Our Revolution Mid Mo. I have heard too many establishment politicians that we have now um, actually say Missouri isn't ready to tackle climate change. What? I've heard this. I actually heard a couple of them actually say that. How do you all feel about that? Do you think Missourians. Did they tell you about that from it? horseback? Um, yeah. <laughs> is this person a farrier? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's that's just it's a, happening regardless of if you're ready. Uh, whether science and whatnot, whether they think Missourians are ready for it or not, um, <laughs> being from a rural district and a lot of the people in those rural areas are farmers. They're already dealing with the effects of that. Um, corn, corn, and soybean producers in in Missouri are now having to compete with Canada uh, for uh, corn and soybean production. That didn't happen 20 years ago because it wasn't warm enough in Canada 20 years ago in order to grow those crops. Um, when, when, it's, when we're having uh, more prolonged droughts, that, that affects uh, uh, the market price that you can charge on your cattle. That's uh, higher costs on if you have a poultry operation. Uh, you know, you've you got to keep those birds cool, and it gets really hot in, you know, in a poultry barn. Um, you know, they're, they're already dealing with this. They already know that it's happening. You know, it, essentially they're just they're denying reality there uh, that, believe it or not, a lot of their voters and a lot of their constituents are already dealing with. Are they aware, though? Obviously they're aware. It's, hit, it's hitting them in their pocketbook. Uh, you know, well, we, 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 we had... reflects that they're aware of what's being done to them. I hope so. <laughs> Climate change, like science, doesn't give a damn whether you believe in it or not. Absolutely. It is going to it's going to happen, regardless of whether you think it's a figment of the liberal left leaning media or what. It like Brian said, the climate is changing. These are metrics that that are are, are observable metrics. We can see you can now grow soybeans in Canada. That is it was never a thing. This is a new market that we have to compete with, but I think that the problem is really an opportunity. I think we in Missouri, we have a whole lot of shells of empty factories. Uh, If you drive west on 54 from Camden, you drive through a whole bunch of towns that barely exist anymore, and there's a whole bunch of factories that are closed now where we we could be manufacturing solar panels. We could be manufacturing things that, that at least attempt to address the, the climate change epidemic. Uh, this, this is really, it, it's an opportunity. It's interesting how you put it like that, a climate change epidemic, because it, it is something much bigger than most people realize. Well, it, 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 it absolutely is, and it, it does, it's another one of those issues that affects rich and poor, uh, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, I, I mean, Whatever this affects every 
every animal, vegetable, or mineral on the planet. It doesn't matter. Uh, and, and again, climate change and science don't give a whether you believe in it or not. Yeah, yeah. Michaela. And and it's something that you know, even if they don't call it that, or they don't recognize that it's climate change, our farming communities and rural communities recognize that things are different. These are people that have been farming the same land for three generations, and they recognize that the growing season is different, or that there are more more droughts, or more floods, or more droughts and floods in the same year, and it kills off all of their crops. They definitely know their land better than some slick politician in Jeff City or Washington, D.C. Exactly. But then there are things that they don't know that they don't get to see. They don't get to see that the water tables are lower. They mm-hmm. don't get to see that we have less available groundwater because when it's when it's dry, you have to have more irrigation. You have to pump the water up out of the ground. We have in Cape Town in South Africa that they are out of water. They have run out of water to drink. Less than 90 and days. 20, yeah. Less than 90 days yeah. left. Yeah. So you know, and that's those are things that unless we unless we get out there in those communities and talk to them about it in a way that's real, those are things that are going to happen to us. And if we don't address it now, we're going to get to a point where we can't address it. <laughs> we're going to get to Mad like, Max, right? We're, we're going to get to the point get where to we a can't address point it. Where it's way past a point of no return, and no matter how much money you have, you're not going to be able to eat it. It's not going to be able to warm you. It's not going to be able to cool you, and it's not going to be able to put a roof over your head. Um, before we finish this off, and, and, and I'm trying to keep these things, uh, I, I haven't timed any of the rest of them, but I'm timing this one because now I'm, I'm trying to be a little more professional about it. Um, <laughs> and, and this whole thing is just to have fun, to get the message out, to get the spotlight on you guys and, and other progressives around the state. Um, and, and also check out local businesses like this place right here, Craft Beer Cellar. Uh, Columbia, Missouri. Thank you guys so much for hosting this. Um, but before we get out of here, I want you guys to let everybody know exactly how to follow you, how to get a hold of you, and how to help with your campaign and uh, to stick with you on this journey. Let's go ladies first, Michaela. Okay, well, oh, uh-oh. All right, I'm just going to hold the microphone now. It has, it has come unscrewed from the table. Um, but so, Michaela Skelton, and I'm running for House District 50 in mid-Missouri. Um, you can follow me at Skelton for 50 on Twitter or on Facebook, um, Michaela Skelton. Um, and it's M-I-C-H-E-L-A-S-K-E-L-T-O-N. Um, we need volunteers, phone bankers, donations. Small dollars are huge. Um, also, look at signing up for It Starts Today, Missouri. Um, and that's a monthly subscription. Starts at $2.48 a month. And it gives every state representative and state senate candidate in Missouri that's running as a Democrat a basic level of funding to be able to run on that small dollar donation so that we don't have to rely on big dollar donors or having to spend hours and hours every day calling and begging people for money. Can you explain why it's such a strange number, that 248? Sure. So 248, um, if you donate just the 248 every month, that gives one penny per each of the 163 house rep districts, and then a nickel for each of the 17 state Senate districts that are up for election this year. Which, if you do the math, that's $2.48. But it, they also have another, if you do nine ninety two or something like that. Uh-huh. Uh, that. So that gives, that's the, essentially, so it's in increments of $2.48. Um, and so the nine ninety two is 
four pennies um, per state rep district, so four cents, and then 20 cents per state senate district. Um, and if, if they can get across the whole state of Missouri, 19,000 subscribers, which is not that many for our whole state population, signing up for that a little bit less than $10 a month, that would give $18,000 for each state rep candidate and $88,000 for each state senate candidate, which is huge. I know people that ran campaigns in 2016 on $500, $1,500. And so having that basic level of funding, just to be able to print cards that you can hand out to people when you knock on their doors or have business cards or get a website done um, is is really huge. If I had that in 2016, uh, that would have tripled the amount of money that it took me to get 36%, which was $6,000. I could have tripled that. And that's just uh, residual income that, that you guys uh, can help us out with if you just go to It Starts Today mm-hmm. um, or you can go to, to any of our Facebooks. We're going to be pimping it um, probably as soon as we leave here today. <laughs> so uh, go check that out. Let us know. Brian, tell us how we can connect. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook uh, uh, through Elect Strubig for State Senate or Brian Strubig for State Senate. Uh, Spell Strubig for us. S-T-R-U-E, B as in boy, I, G as in girl, and it's Brian with a Y. Uh, you can uh, check out my website. It's also brianstrubig.com, or you can go to brianformo.com. They'll both take you to the same exact spot. Excellent. Excellent. Joseph? Um, I'm on Facebook at uh, JoeForMo28. I'm on Twitter at uh, Joe, the number four. M-O-28, and uh, my website will be up within the next week. So I, I'm not all as fancy as Brian and Michaela yet. But, but, <laughs> but you'll get there. But we're getting there. Excellent. Um, Excellent. And just, just uh, there's this quote that's been resonating in my head all day. I, I just feel like I have to get it out. Do it. Uh, Jerry Garcia once said, uh, somebody's got to do something, and it's incredibly pathetic that it's got to be us. So... <laughs> So uh, reach out, uh, follow us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Uh, Most importantly, hit up the Act Blue. And uh, in addition to that, give us a call. And uh, we need volunteers. We need phone bankers. We need door knockers. We need people to write postcards. We need people to call their mom. We need people to call their brother. We need people to call their neighbor. Introduce us to anybody who will stand still long enough to listen to us talk for just a minute. In other words, if you want your voice heard in Jefferson City, we are going to need your voices at the doors to get us elected to make that happen and so we can represent you. Uh, Before we finish this thing off, uh, I want you guys to run through where you're running for again to to reiterate that. Okay, Brian Strubig running in the 6th Senate District. That is Miller County, Morgan County, Montauk County, Cole County, uh, Osage County, Gasconade County, and Marys County. Uh, Michaela Skelton, State Rep District 50 in Southern Boone, Cole, Montauk, and Cooper Counties. And I am Joe Poor. I am in Laclede, Dallas, St. Clair, Hickory, Pettis, Dallas, Cedar, and Benton Counties. Excellent. And I am running in House District 107, which is St. Charles, St. Peter's, O'Fallon, and a little sliver of Winsville. 
Um, and you can check me out at wildforthepeople.com. You can misspell it. I bought both URLs. It's cool. <laughs> or donate.wildforthepeople.com is where you can contribute to the campaign, and we're always down for those grassroots donations. My favorite number just happens to be $27. Um, but as far as next-gen Dems go, you can listen to us, you can watch us on YouTube, Facebook, you can download us on podcast.com or iTunes. We will be available, this episode will be available there uh, within the next couple of days, um, and the vid- video will be available too on Facebook, YouTube, and we also have a new website at nextgendems, that's nextgendems.us because it's all about us. And the only reason that it's dot us is because they didn't have dot not me us. <laughs> so nextgendems.us, you can check us out, you can connect with us, or you can search us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, iTunes, or any of those other things. Brian, Michaela, Joe, thank you guys so much for coming on today. And this was our fourth episode of Next Gen Dems. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Curtis. I wasn't going to stop recording until they stopped clapping.